0: Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are joining because you've been following along in the Proverbs series. Today is the last episode rounding out our study of Proverbs. If not, it's totally a standalone episode. You could jump right in. Today, we're going to talk about the theme of women as it weaves through the book of Proverbs. And the first thing I want to point out before we jump into the discussion of what Proverbs has to say around the theme of women is that we're taking what I believe is a little bit of an unexpected approach. But once it's illustrated, it's going to be obvious to you. What I mean by that is it's BIBNO, which is the acronym that my friend Adam taught me. It stands for basic but not obvious. It's going to be like those old magic eye books. If you know what I'm talking about, you may be close to my age. I don't even know if they still exist anymore. But my grandma had some at her house. And I remember as a little girl... Like I would spend a lot of time squinting just right to try to find that three-dimensional image on the page. And then once I saw it, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't stop seeing three dimensions right away. So I think that's what the theme of women in the book of Proverbs is going to be for us today. It's going to be basic, but not obvious. We're going to squint our eyes a little bit, but then you won't be able to unsee it, if that makes sense. Okay, so let's get started. Recall that when we first met the book of Proverbs, we learned that it was poetry, Hebrew poetry to be more specific. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I have done a little bit of reading on how, what, what Hebrew scholars do say about how the Hebrew, Hebrew poetry is structured. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at literary devices as a way to inform our study. Now, I wonder... When I say that term, what literary devices come to mind as you reflect on any poetry maybe you studied or had to study when you were in language classes growing up? And I'm going to throw out some words that I haven't had to define in a really long time that might jog your memory. They're words like juxtaposition, imagery, alliteration, personification, even repetition. Are these words like? sounding familiar. I'm sure they are. Remember maybe a time when you had to like identify those devices in something written by like Robert Frost or William Shakespeare. The use of these devices by the author, by Shakespeare, Mr. Frost, whoever you were reading, the use of these devices was very intentional. And often it was meant to sort of like enhance or illuminate the message the work was attempting to convey for the reader. And that's the angle we're going to take on today's study. We're going to be poetic literary sleuths. And I promise it's going to be fun. It sounds super nerdy, but it's going to be really fun. And we're going to answer the question what does it say? not by our first grade reading comprehension. So if you've studied with us before, you know we ask the question of scripture, what does it say? That's the first thing we look at. And historically, it's been that first grade reading comprehension where we can look at, say, a narrative and answer who, what, when, where, why. But today, we're going to use our 10th grade reading comprehension because we're reading poetry. And to understand poetry, we have to look at the literary devices and discern what's being communicated more than we would if we were reading straight historical narrative. I also want to say that pulling out the theme of women in a study of Proverbs can take a lot of different shapes. And if you do even like a baseline amount of research, you're going to discover that people have a lot to say about it. I read and listened to a lot of people speaking about the theme of women in the book of Proverbs. And what I found is that even from the basic study, that women are used metaphorically. They're also used literally, like we're going to discuss actual women. And where that starts and stops is somewhat debated, particularly when you get to the infamous Proverbs 31 woman, which we are not even going to talk about today. So if you thought this was a sermon about how to be a virtuous woman, you're wrong, and I'm really happy about it. (laughs) When I do this uh, lesson in person, we may dig a little bit deeper because there's some really cool content around um, what some different scholars have to say about Proverbs 31 and then how, as a culture, we've taken that and perhaps adapted it a little bit to fit our context. Um, I went down a lot of rabbit holes, as you can tell. So many that I actually got lost and had to crawl back out to remind myself that the point of Of what I'm doing is just to encourage and equip you to get into the scriptures on your own. That's it. So to do basically what I've been doing as I've studied and prepared for this episode, and that's to read, to think, to pray, to consult some trusted resources, and then rinse and repeat. So all I'm saying as we launch into this is that my intent in this episode is not to persuade you to think like me. Or even initiate any kind of conversation around your theology on women. That's not what I'm doing. I'm simply holding out what I've been learning and inviting you to drink out of the fire hose with me. So, with that, let's get started by revisiting the framework of the Proverbs poetry. For the last several episodes, we've given special attention to chapters 10 through 22 specifically. And if you remember, we talked about that at the beginning of chapter 10, probably in your Bibles, there is a delineation or like a subtitle that's marking a shift that starts right there where where the lines of poetry become more concise, more patterned and like more traditional Proverbs, like Proverbs with a little P. They take on a more traditional format. But today, we're, since we're looking at the use of women as a theme and a metaphor, we're actually going to zoom out a little bit and focus mainly on the beginning of Proverbs, the first nine chapters. In a deeper dive, we'd be looking at those book the bookends. We'd look at the first nine chapters, and then we'd bookend it with Proverbs 31. But for today, we have more than enough content to digest. So recall at the beginning of Proverbs, we actually get a prologue, which is so nice when you're reading and trying to understand scripture to have seven verses that say, here's the author and here's what this book is about. And here are the outcomes we want for the people who read it. That's what the first seven verses are. And at the end of that section, verse seven, we get that famous verse that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And this is followed By a series of speeches. So think of the first nine chapters essentially as a prologue followed by a bunch of speeches, more long form poetry in the form of a father and a son dialoguing. So What I'll say is that for the purposes of today, let's recall that the book of Proverbs is predominantly written by Solomon, King Solomon. So we're going to assume, and I I think it's fair to do so, that the father speaking is Solomon. The King Solomon is speaking these Proverbs of Wisdom both to his literal sons, but also I think that it's a broader audience. He's speaking to his descendants, those who will come after him. And we can lump ourselves into that since we're adopted into the family of God. Um, And this is seen in in actually, this pattern of father-son dialogue is actually seen a lot in other wisdom literature, both biblical wisdom literature like Job and Ecclesiastes. And also, I read a little bit about how it is also common as far as like a poetic style in Near Eastern, Ancient East, Egyptian style poetry as well. But for today, let's remember that we're listening to King Solomon and he's speaking his wisdom to those who will come after him. Now, within these speeches in the first nine chapters, there are actually speeches within the speeches. And we see this first happen in chapter 1, verse 20, and this is where we're introduced to one of our main characters today, who we're going to call Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 1, verse 20 says this, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Okay, but she's not the only woman in the story here. And when we jump to Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, we meet the counterpart to Lady Wisdom. And here's what verse 16 says. It, Wisdom, will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife and her seductive words, who's left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Okay, so we've just in the first two chapters met our two female leads, Lady Wisdom and the Adulteress, or some will call her Lady Folly, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. And so here we see Wisdom and its opposite, foolishness, are personified as women. They're given human-like qualities and presented to us as women who are calling out for people to follow them. So if you recall, it says she, she calls aloud in the street. Lady Wisdom standing in the street. She's raising her voice and she's invitational. Both are actually. They're inviting people in to follow them and to live their ways. But their methods and their strategies are very different. So let's begin to answer our first question. What does it say? Now, if you're listening to this and you want to dive deeper into the scripture, I, I would encourage you to do that. Go and read the first nine chapters. I'm not going to read them <laughs> in podcast form to you, so I'm going to summarize what they say, and then we'll dig a little deeper. What does it say about Lady Wisdom? Well, first it says she does quite a few things. She invites you into safety, protects, exalts, honors, it says that all her paths are peace, she gives you long life, she's pleasant, and she's profitable. She speaks what is true, she's honest, she takes a stand. Oh, I love that one. And it says basically that what she has to say is clear and it's true. And then we get a picture of Lady Folly, who also invites people in. And she's also actually attractive and seductive. It says that her lips drip honey, And her words are enticing. But it also says that she's loud and undisciplined. She ignores God's ways and follows her own ways. And her paths lead to death. She gives no thought to life. And it says she's not even aware of what she's doing. Okay, that's a lot. They're opposites. This personification of wisdom as a woman is actually seen in other places in the Old Testament, particularly in the wisdom literature. Some people connect this detail to the fact that the Hebrew word for wisdom, which is chokmah, we talk about that in episode, episode one, that Hebrew word is a feminine noun. But I think that grammar alone doesn't feel sufficient to understand what fully what's happening here in the poetry. There's so much character development that I think we have to dig a little deeper by looking at the other images that are coming from the poetry. So remember, I talked about literary devices. So because we see repetition, because we've got this personification and a repetition of it, we're going to dig deeper and look at what are the other devices telling us and try to discern more about what God has to say about wisdom and foolishness so what i want to do now is look at proverbs chapter 8. this is a part of the speech that's filled with some incredible imagery and what i want to introduce to you is a an idea that tim mackey from the bible project uses that helps to understand how the bible is one cohesive story he uses the term hyperlink to talk about ways the text may hyperlink or connect forward or backward to other parts of the bible So if you remember what a hyperlink is, hello, of course we do. We're modern people. A hyperlink is something that takes you from one thing to the other because they're related. And so what I want to look at right now is Proverbs chapter eight. I'm going to read to you some verses. And as I do, I want you to call to mind any imagery, particularly biblical imagery that it stirs up for you. If you're like, wait a second, that sounds like really hard to do. I promise it's not. Wait till you hear the words and just listen. Everyone, including my four-year-olds, could pick up on this. Okay, so here we are. What biblical imagery is this bringing to mind? Proverbs 8, starting at verse 22. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. Where there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or the fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, and when he gave the sea its boundary, so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in, the, in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And just in case you haven't picked up on the imagery yet, I want to read to you Proverbs 3.19 that says, She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. So what imagery comes to mind? What biblical scene comes to mind? The garden. You're right. Great answer. The garden, creation, Genesis 1 through 3. This poetic language of Proverbs 8 is hyperlinking back to the garden. And I'll even go as far to say that Lady Wisdom is hyperlinking back to Eve. Remember in verse 30, it says, then I was the craftsman at his side. And we get this image of Adam and Eve and God co-creating, co-ruling with God. They're rejoicing and they're delighting in his presence and in his power. And we see that it's the wisdom of God that's at work in creation, establishing an order to the world, and it's good. And in this world, the tree of life is at the center, and Adam and Eve are invited to partake in it. Just like we talked about Lady Wisdom inviting us in to partake of this creative, wonderful power of God that's at work, pointing us to the good, good way. Dwayne Garrett, who is an author and does some commentary in the Holman Illustrated series, this is a quote, what he talks about this exact verse from the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. He says this, when Lady Wisdom claims to have been present when God created the world, concluding with the assertion that all who hate me love death. She means that her principles are woven into the fabric of life. God made the world according to the precepts she teaches. Therefore, any person who disregards her fights against the very nature of reality. Okay, this is a lot. Think about it this way. It's God's wisdom in the garden that establishes for us the way of life and invites us in. These images of both the garden, the tree of life, lady wisdom are pointing us to God's invitation to live the good life. Do you see how they're hyperlinked, how they're connected? Now, we all know what happens in the garden story, right? Eve is enticed to go another way and she does what's right in her own eyes. She chooses the way of lady folly and she eats the fruit and she and Adam are all cut off from the tree of life. This is what we know what happens. So I want to pause there with that image in mind, Adam and Eve in the garden, cut off from the tree of life. And we're going to look at why does this matter in a literal way? These ideas of God God's wisdom by looking at the life of our dear friend, King Solomon. In Solomon's story, we, there are several women who are mentioned by name. You know, there's Bathsheba, his mother at the beginning of the text, then we learn in chapter three that he marries Pharaoh's daughter. We don't know her name, but she's mentioned specifically. We meet the two mothers who are um, distraught over the baby. And today we're going to focus on the Queen of Sheba and Solomon's born wives. Those are kind of our two portraits for today. So I want to read to you the first nine chapters, or excuse me, the first nine verses of chapter 10 in 1 Kings where we meet the Queen of Sheba. And y'all, she is cool. Like Like, I want to be the Queen of Sheba. She's cool. Okay, here's what it says. Verse one. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Okay, we're going to stop there. So what did it say? Well, Here's what happened. The queen of Sheba is a powerful woman. We see that by the wealth in the caravan that's coming with her. And she's coming to see Solomon because she's heard about his wisdom. And she wants to find out and see for her eyes, like, is it actually true what they say about you? And it says that she comes and she tests him with questions and she's trying to discern, like, is he the real deal? And she's overwhelmed That's the word it uses in the NIV by the depth of his knowledge and the splendor of his wealth. And her response from that is really interesting because remember, she is not a part of the nation of Israel. She's outside. And her response is to praise God, to bring gifts, and then she returns home. So here we see this picture of the Queen of Sheba. I'm going to go as far to say hyperlinking or being connected to both Lady Wisdom and Eve. And here's, here's what I see. She's powerful and brings riches to the king. Remember, Lady Wisdom has riches and honor in her left hand. She wants to discern truth, and she uses her words and her intellect to do that. She makes sound judgments, and she's ultimately directing praise back to God. Sound a little bit like the things that Lady Wisdom does. And in terms of Eve, we could say that Queen of Sheba is a ruler, and she's got power and she's got resources and she's seeking to be in the proximity of wisdom. She looks to partner with Solomon, right? So you almost could get this image of like Adam and Eve, right? She's looking to partner with Solomon and executing this wisdom in their kingdoms. Okay. But now remember that Solomon is the one speaking Proverbs and he's telling his sons, his descendants to follow lady wisdom not lady folly because it won't go well for them if they do this okay and what we're about to see in chapter 11 is that what we already know is that solomon is speaking from experience and in chapter 11 we're introduced to solomon's foreign wives and we actually looked at this text a little bit in last week's episode but here's what the first six verses have to say about that king of king solomon however loved many foreign wives besides pharaoh's daughter They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And what happened? His wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. So here we see that Solomon's foreign wives led him to do what was right in his own eyes. And he began to violate that Deuteronomy uh, law that God had set in place. He said, don't do this. It's going to lead you astray. And as he ages, he begins to worship these other gods and his kingdom is destroyed. The path of his foreign wives, the path of Lady Folly, leads him to destruction and to death. Okay. We've just covered a lot of material. We've looked at women and wisdom personified in Proverbs through Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. We've seen women and wisdom in the garden with Eve in Genesis one through three. And then we've looked at women and wisdom playing the leading part in the life of Solomon and ultimately the kingdom of Israel. So why does it still matter? These are literary devices and their historical characters and their proverbs their words of wisdom and they're all inviting us to live in a certain way they're all inviting us to live in a way that doesn't come from within us that it's it's a way that's given by God and we're invited to partake but how do we access this wisdom so if it's what i'm saying is if it's not within us but it's available to us then the most important question we can answer is how in the world do we get it And I want to draw draw one final conclusion for you, okay? One connection for you. Recall that when Eve did what was right in her own eyes, she was cut off from the tree of life. God's wisdom had made a way for she and Adam to have direct access to life, the life and presence of God. But when they turned their own way, their access, our access was cut off. It even says in Genesis chapter three that God puts Like he kicks them out of the garden and then there's this image of a cherubim and a flaming sword and it's blocking off the way to the tree of life. So how do we get back to the tree of life? In the New Testament, this imagery is continued. So we're going to hyperlink forward to Jesus. Now when Jesus comes on the scene, he's both called many things and he says many things. And we've looked at this text before, but it's so rich and beautiful and connected. In John 14, he's talking to his disciples about where he's going, the way, right? Where is he going? And sweet Thomas asked the question that we all ask, the question that we're asking today. How can we know the way? How do we get back to the tree of life? God, if you are wisdom and your way is the way, how do we get there? And Jesus answers him. By saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, all the other images of God's wisdom and God's way have been glimmers, have been metaphors of reality. But in Jesus, we see the fully personified wisdom of God, whose path leads to life by way of death on a cross. A cross that was also once a tree. And this tree is leading and inviting us to pass through death and into life. You see, it's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus that God is making a way for us to get back to the garden. So friends, if you want to know the way, if you want to know how to get there, if you want the path of life, you have to know Jesus. It's not a secret. Yes, it's mysterious at times, and we don't have a full, clear picture, but God's making a way back to himself, and the way of life is found when we know the person of Jesus. So, as you go about your regular life, what can you take practically from all of this? I have two suggestions. The first suggestion is to study Jesus. Read the Gospels and think deeply about how he lived his life. My second suggestion is to align yourself with people who are also seeking to know him. You know, last week we talked about our words, and I asked the question, who are you listening to? Lady Wisdom is calling out, but so is her enemy, and passivity is not neutral. It's not going to get you there. I want to end our study of Proverbs today with a prayer of David from Psalm 25. This is a prayer that I think sums up the heart of those of us who want to follow in the way of Jesus, that want to live a wise life. And this is a prayer you can repeat as like a breath prayer. Maybe you write it down, store it up in your mind when you need it. As we close today, let me read these words over you, and I pray they would bless you, and I pray pray you'd write them on your heart. This is Psalm 25. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Thanks for coming along with me on this journey through the book of Proverbs. It's been really rich for me. And if you'd like to dig deeper, I'm going to post on my website A link to a couple of different podcast episodes, as well as a really cool video from Bible Project talking about the tree of life. If that image and that metaphor really spoke to you, there's a great video on it. Um, I also want to invite you, if you're listening in real time, to study Proverbs with me at my local church. If you're here in Tulsa Cornerstone Church, I'm going to be teaching through uh, Proverbs and over the course of five weeks, starting in February. And I'll also post a link to sign up for that. So, With that, I hope you have a great week, and what's coming at you in the coming weeks are a couple of really cool interviews with some people who um, I'm sure you don't know, but you should, and have wonderful stories to tell about what God has done in their life. Thanks for listening. Have a good week.